Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us on a very busy news day on this Tuesday. Your stool is ready. Good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And Jim, before we get to the good martini, we got to follow up on yesterday's good martini, which makes yesterday's good martini even better than we thought it was yesterday because we had had kind of cryptic language about the uh, problem, the incident, the blackout at the Natanz nuclear facility in Iran. Uh, All signs point to the Israelis probably doing this. Even the Israelis are dropping hints. They have no problem with uh, pretty much everyone believing they did. Uh, But now we have a better idea of just how much damage was done, and it's a lot worse, which is awesome. The Jerusalem Post, the alleged Israeli attack on Iran's Natanz nuclear facility, targeted an electrical substation located 40 to 50 meters underground and damaged thousands of centrifuges, Iranian officials revealed in recent days. This guy is Feridun Abbasi Davani, a former head of Iran's Atomic Energy Organization, told the Iranian media Monday that the attack hit an electrical substation located deep underground and managed to damage both the power distribution system and the cable leading to the centrifuges in order to cut power to them. This guy actually admitted on the record, the design of the enemy was very beautiful. It almost reminds me of the uh, Will Ferrell gif of, I'm not even mad, I'm actually kind of impressed. (laughs) So... Uh, And basically, you know, this thing's, you know, like I said, 40 to 50 meters underground. It was designed to withstand missile strikes and that sort of thing. But apparently the components that they used to build this thing got smuggled in. They may have had explosives already uh, inside of them. We don't even know if agents actually got into the facility, but they were detonated remotely. And so this has set back the Iranians big time. They're, of course, now planning to enrich even higher and build more centrifuges, which... Kind of reminds me of the Dr. Claw situation of I'll get you next time, Gadget. But uh, (laughs) Jim, what do you what do you make of just how successful this was? Well, here's the thing. The fact that they said that the design was beautiful, that makes me think it's Israelis, too. Uh, (laughs) If it said the operatives who did this were beautiful, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Greg, that confirms it. That's, uh, you know, my slogan, Israel has three things in abundance, beautiful women, automatic weapons and beautiful women holding automatic weapons. Um, so yeah, this is good news. You know what it is, I guess, and I'm kind of glad that the Iranians are just coming out and saying, yeah, you got us. It was a really, you know, because otherwise you'd have to say, this was a routine power surge that caused a massive explosion 50 feet underground, like one does, you know? I mean, it, you have to feel like somebody, is, does this even really, if, if everybody can kind of tell who did it, and that you did it. Is it really still a covert operation? Right. Uh, that's that's when you know you're good. Uh, so let's hope they keep doing it. Like we said yesterday, and uh, the Iranians are literally picking up the pieces. And hopefully this sets back the uh, the talks with the U.S. that Biden is so desperate to reconvene here. But uh, time will tell. All right. On to the official good martini, Jim. And I have to believe this is a first in the more than 10 year history of the three martini lunch. I have a hard time even spitting out these words. Harry Reid is the good martini today. I, I, I can't say it again, but I'm going to, I'm just going to read this story from the Free Beacon. Former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid on Saturday cautioned Democrats against expanding the size of the Supreme Court. 
uh, told CNN, I think we better be very, very careful in saying that we need to expand the Supreme Court. He also uh, said that uh, eventually this new commission that Biden uh, has appointed will disappoint, in his words, a lot of Democrats because it will recommend Congress leaving the court alone. He also went on to say that uh, considering term limits for justices would be, in his words, inappropriate for the Supreme Court. Now, of course, Harry Reid is... uh, up to his neck in uh, shady shenanigans in Nevada politics and beyond. He also said in recent days that he thinks it's only a matter of time before the legislative filibuster dies. So uh, he's still wrong about 99.9% of things, but uh, he stumbled into this one. And Jim, it could be because of experience that uh, changing things radically as it relates to courts and other things doesn't go so well for Democrats all the time. Yeah, I mean, when Harry Reid tells other Senate Democrats, don't make that structural change. It'll backfire. Listen, he, he knows what he's talking about, Democrats. Um, I, I'm starting to come to a conclusion about this bipartisan commission designed to study the federal judiciary that, that Biden is setting up. Um, I've already kind of made fun of the fact that nobody really counts on a bipartisan commission to change things. Generally, presidents turn to them when they, you know, they know the answer is kind of unpopular and they're looking for some sort of political cover to do it. But I'm starting to wonder, look, If Joe Biden really wanted to do this, he could at any point come out and say, I believe it's time for the Supreme Court to have 11 members. Come on, man. Uh, (laughs) But he won't, that he hasn't done that. And when he was asked about this on the campaign trail, in fact, if you go back probably like to 2019, you could find plenty of examples in which Biden was poo-pooing the idea. Fast forward to 2020, where it's very clear a big chunk of the Democratic base really wanted to expand the Supreme Court because it was just so unfair that Republicans had nominated and f- confirmed so many Supreme Court justices um, that they just felt like, this is the only way we're going to be able to catch up. This is the only way we're going to be able to cancel out this, you know, arguably six to three, although depending on the mood of John Roberts, a lot of conservatives would argue it's really five to four conservative majority. But you can tell this is not something that comes naturally to Biden. This is not something in line with his instincts. And it's not something he's, it's, he, and I think he realizes either this is completely backfire because the next time Republicans had the presidency in the Senate, they could expand it to 13 or 15 or, or as many Supreme Court justices as they want. And as I remember when this was, you know, uh, flaring up on the campaign trail last year, that if Democrats really did go through with this, then the Republicans' counter move should be to add so many justices to the Supreme Court that they had to hold the hearings in MCI arena. Uh, okay, fine. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna appoint a thousand young conservative justices, and then we're gonna win every decision like a hundred, one thousand and forty nine to three, and that's the way we're gonna end up uh, getting exactly the way we want. And we're never gonna lose the Supreme Court again. If you guys break this uh, uh, break this norm, we can break the norm just the same way you can. Um, now, here's the thing: if you're Joe Biden. Maybe this by look, it's so far, it looks like there's a whole bunch of progressives on this commission, and it looks like it'll probably come back either endorsing or at least leaving the door open to adding more Supreme Court justices, or maybe endorsing a retirement age or uh, term limits or something like that. But if this commission doesn't come forward and say, yes, you should go ahead with this. And oh, by the way, it was a couple of days ago that Chief, uh, sorry, not Chief Justice, regular Justice Breyer uh, said he thought it was a bad idea. And the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg said she thought it was a bad idea. What if this commission comes out and says, no, this isn't a good idea? That pretty much would kill the idea, wouldn't it, uh, Greg? Yeah, I think so. I'm also wondering, though, whether this six-month commission is going to kind of wait and see what major decisions come down from this court in June and whether it's anything uh, super significant to the Biden administration. Uh, Some have uh, considered this commission the sword of Damocles, where as long as you guys don't do anything 
that we don't like too much, uh, we'll probably leave you alone. But if if you uh, make some decisions that are devastating to our agenda, then maybe we've got to revisit this a little more closely. But did you see what uh, the left did once Breyer said that? How insistent they were it's that he time retired. Time to retire, old man. <laughs> yes. Get out of the way. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I kind of wonder... Look, I think it's more likely that the commission will either endorse it or leave the door open. But if it, if, let's say there's a 40% chance that it says, no, this would just set up a tit for tat of escalating expansions of the court. You'd end up with, you know, uh, chaos and this would, you know, undermine the, the you know, public trust in the, in the court or something like that. Um, if they came to that conclusion, that would pretty much justify Biden saying, oh, well, we tried. I hired, I, I appointed the commission. They gave it a good study. They said it wasn't a good idea. I'm not going to waste any more political capital on this idea. And that would kill it for, if not, you know, forever, and maybe not quite a generation, but probably another good 10 years or so before any Democrat really would start talking seriously about expanding the court again. So I, I don't think that's the most likely scenario, but I think it's plausible enough that it should not be uh, dismissed, that this is kind of a backdoor way of Biden dodging the issue and not having to deal with it. And I kind of wonder if that's the wavelength that uh, that Harry Reid is on as he's making these comments. All right, let's talk about my pillow. It's not just the pillows. Now, uh, my pillow has done it again by introducing the new my slippers. My slippers took two years to develop to ensure they are the highest in quality and comfort. And I can tell you, these things are super comfortable. I said the other day, I'm not a slippers guy, but I do love these slippers. And right now, three Martini Lunch listeners get 40% off with our promo code Martini at mypillow.com. You know, Greg, my slippers are durable. They're wearable all day. They're okay for indoors. They're okay for outdoors. They've got beautiful leather suede and a cozy faux fur lining. They have moccasin or slip-on style, and they're available in a variety of colors. Plus, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. These things are so cushy. Layer one has the MyPillow patented fill. Same thing in the pillow. It's one of the layers in these uh, slippers. Then they've got the comfort memory foam and finally the patented impact gel. The front of your feet and really all of your feet uh, will love you for getting these things. For a limited time, uh, MyPillow offering 40% off the new My Slippers. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener's Square. Enter promo code MARTINI or call 800-874-0104 and use the code there. While you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and the MyPillow towel sets. You can only save 40% on the new My Slippers with our promo code MARTINI. Call 800-874-0104 or visit MyPillow.com today. All right, Jim, let's talk about our bad martini now. And that's that the CDC and the FDA are uh, urging a pause on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Here's what the U.S. FDA tweeted out earlier today. Today, FDA and CDC issued a statement regarding the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine. We are recommending a pause in the use of this vaccine out of an abundance of caution. As of April 12th, 6.8 million doses of the J&J vaccine have been administered in the U.S. CDC and FDA are reviewing data involving six reported U.S. cases of a rare and severe type of blood clot in individuals after receiving the vaccine. Right now, these adverse events appear to be extremely rare. Treatment of this specific type of blood clot is different from the treatment that might typically be administered. They're going to convene a meeting of the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices tomorrow to review 
further these cases and assess their potential significance. And so on the one hand, you've got some saying six out of 6.8 million. Is that is that really worth shutting everything down for? Uh, all of the cases are women between the ages of 18 and 48, which leads some to think it might be birth control related. Uh, and then, of course, there's other people out there saying, well, they have officially six cases, but there's probably evidence of a few other people uh, dealing with this as well. So, uh, Jim, you've tracked this whole uh, process as close as anyone. So what's your reaction to this? Yeah, mostly frustration. Um, maybe you could even say it was outrage when I first heard the news this morning. Uh, I, I kind of feel like putting slamming the brakes on the use of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine anywhere um, is a bad decision. It is going to, you're, you're going to end up hurting more people by not getting them vaccinated than by continuing than by the number of people who would be at risk for a blood clot. Well, let me, you know, as you, as you mentioned, the, the figures are accurate. All of them are women between 18 and 48, but let me just, let's step back and, and lay this out for anybody who's not familiar with the basics here. All right. Your blood clots when you have a cut, right? And that's, that's what, when your body is supposed to do that when you have a cut. The problem is when the, the clotting, when it comes to come together, uh, it can cause blockages in your blood vessels. And you don't want gel-like clumps of blood getting stuck in other parts of your body, most notably towards your lungs or towards your brain. But even if it gets in your uh, major veins in your extremities, that can cause all kinds of problems because it you know, blocks the blood from getting where it needs to go and the cells start to die. Um, now, the thing is blood clots can form for all kinds of reasons. Uh, you probably have heard about people worried about sitting on an airplane for uh, a really long time, pregnancy, smoking, arteriosclerosis, heart attacks, and oh, by the way, yes, COVID-19. I saw one study that said perhaps up to 20% of people with COVID-19 have experience, uh, uh, suffered from blood clots. So, uh, oh, by the way, as you mentioned, birth control pills can cause blood clots as well. The rate is about three-tenths of 1% to 1% over 10 years for a woman who's using the pill, which kind of makes me look at that uh, demographic that's using the uh, uh, that's being you know mentioned here and kind of makes me go, hmm, I wonder if that's a connection. Um, now, here's the thing. It could be that these six women uh, are uh, have gotten this because of the vaccine. I, I cannot say at this point it is um, uh, impossible. When you do a uh, trial run or a test run for these sorts of vaccines, you don't have a million participants. You generally have tens of thousands. And generally, that's considered enough to see is there going to be a common side effect or, or effect of using this vaccine. Um, there was no indication of this in the uh, test studies of Johnson & Johnson. But it does remind me of the issues they had over in Europe with the AstraZeneca vaccine. And you people may remember, you know, because of a, I think it was like, you know, probably about 13 or so based on a couple of million over in Europe, they stopped using the AstraZeneca vaccine for about a week. Um, I think I ran the odds. It was something like one out of 459,000. Uh, the US CDC had said that your odds of being struck by lightning are about one and a half million. So you get a sense of what we're dealing with in terms of probability here. Uh, after a couple of days, the European Medicines Agency put the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine back on the market, but it put a, a warning label on it uh, saying that, yes, there is a possibility of very rare cases. What, what the CDC wanted to do today is they wanted people who are giving people vaccinations and doctors who are treating people who may have been vaccinated in the not too distant past to know that, oh, if, you're, if, you're, if there's evidence your, your patient has blood clots, maybe it's because of the vaccination, maybe it's not, but this is something you should have, a, you should be, have on your lookout. Uh, you should, you know, be kind of, it's, it, this is a doctor awareness step. I'm hoping this is a really brief interruption in the use of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. That said, already on social media, I've heard from everybody who you know, was a vaccine skeptic or an anti-vaxxer beforehand, 
The same people, Greg, who two days ago would have been telling you that the CDC is putting poisonous and dangerous vaccines into people. Greg, they're now convinced the CDC is totally honest and telling the truth because they told people to stop using the Johnson and Johnson one. Consistent thinking it's not a specialty of these folks. But that having been said, I think the CDC is lousing this up. They're being excessively cautious, which has kind of been their hallmark uh, more and more as this uh, as the as the pandemic continues and as the vaccines become available. Um, and my fear is that this is going to fuel a great deal more vaccine skepticism um, because the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is if not perfectly safe. Very, very rare reactions like this. Almost any medicine is going to have these kinds of one in a million reactions. You can't, there's, you know, the only, the, the best way to do that is to not use the, not use any medicine ever with anybody. And if you want to go with that option, go ahead. But uh, look, we cross streets, we drive in cars, we do all kinds of things in life that can, co- you know, are, have exceptionally rare potential for an accident or a bad outcome. And we do this because we have to live our lives. The good that will come from using the Johnson & Johnson vaccine enormously outweighs the risk of these uh, blood clots, which, oh, by the way, may not be connected to this vaccine at all. It's a deeply frustrating state of affairs, Greg. So given the track record of the CDC in the last couple of months, should we expect a statement completely contradicting their earlier one by this afternoon? <laughs> it wouldn't shock me, Greg. It wouldn't shock <laughs> me. But they, said they're, but they said they're meeting Wednesday. Now, Greg, you and I, I mean, we, we're familiar. There's this thing called Zoom and Skype and these other things that allow people to arrange meetings very quickly. I'm not sure why, like, okay, you just, the instruction telling people to halt using the vaccine came out today. Can they not meet any sooner than tomorrow? You know, it's going to take them like probably till Friday to get this decision out. And if they're like the European equivalent of the CDC, they'll take about seven days. They'll come back and say, yeah, this can happen in really, really, really rare circumstances. Please be aware of this, but go back to using the vaccine. And in the meantime, you've lost a week's worth of time to start vaccinating, to keep vaccinating people. Yeah, I'm just wondering about the timing of this, because we just saw the headlines in the last couple of days that the supply of Johnson & Johnson will be down here for a while because of the big screw up in the Baltimore uh, facility. So I'm just wondering if they decided, well, why don't we uh, investigate this now since the supply is going to be down for a few weeks anyway? Although the the consequence of, uh, of this going public uh, on people who are either hesitant or at least hesitant about that particular vaccine uh, could still be significant. But um, I mean, Jim, there's no track record of uh, Johnson product starting off well and then not <laughs> continuing well, is there? I mean, the thing is, is that no one has proven that rooting for the Jets can kill you. <laughs> they feel like that, but so far, not that. <laughs> All right. Well, if uh, you need to feel better and it's because of sore muscles, whether it's, I don't know if it's from the vaccine, but uh, just sore muscles in general, I kind of tweaked my back last night and uh, I'll tell you, I wish I had used Theragun. I might do it after I'm done with the podcast today because I love this thing. But uh, don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body, whether you're an elite athlete or someone who's uh, middle-aged and falling apart like me, just trying to make it through the day, Theragun can definitely help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. You just go to their site and check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. 
That really is my favorite part about this whole thing is the app actually figures out where you need the therapy based on how you use it just on your own, whether it's your feet or your legs, your back, whatever. Uh, and then it creates this uh, this therapy program for you. It really is smart. And of course, you can just grab it and and, and apply the, the soothing pressure uh, to whatever muscle group needs the work as well. So I highly endorse Theragun. It's trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid, as well as elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers, including me. So try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash martini right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash martini. Again, theragun.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move to our crazy martini, which seems to have a whole lot of bad to it. In fact, it's a double-barreled bad slash crazy. Minneapolis and the uh, larger suburban area, once again, uh, the center of the storm with a police-involved shooting of a black man. And this is happening, of course, as the trial of Derek Chauvin goes on for the uh, murder of uh, George Floyd. But this is a different case. This was in Brooklyn Center, uh, Minnesota. And USA Today reporting that a 26-year veteran of the Brooklyn Center, Minnesota Police Department was identified late Monday as the officer who fatally shot a 20-year-old black man during a traffic stop in what the police chief there calls an accidental discharge. The officer is identified as Kim Potter, uh, who uh, shot Dante Wright on Sunday. And basically, the police chief there, Tim Gannon, saying that Potter meant to grab her taser to tase Dante Wright, who was resisting arrest, and there were warrants out for his arrest and so forth, uh, but instead grabbed her firearm, and she meant to tase him. She accidentally shot him, and, and the shooting was fatal. And so, Jim, that's an awfully, awfully big mistake. You'd think an officer with that much experience uh, uh, would uh, know exactly which device that uh, she was grabbing. Uh, so, obviously, an investigation will go forward here. There will perhaps be charges. We don't know. But uh, anytime there's uh, a fire, you can uh, count on uh, politicians to throw gasoline on it. Um, Rashida Tlaib, a congresswoman from Michigan, member of the squad, tweets this out last night. It wasn't an accident. Policing in our country is inherently and intentionally racist. Dante Wright was met with aggression and violence. I am done with those who condone government-funded murder. No more policing. Again, no more policing, incarceration, and militarization. It can't be reformed. So, Jim, instead of uh, better trading, uh, facilitating better uh, interaction in tense situations, Rashida Tlaib's solution is to just not have police. Uh, I, I suppose this is one and the same as defunding police because they have no funding. They don't exist. But uh, no police, no jails. I'm sure the crime rate will plummet then. Well, I mean, it would solve the problem of police shootings. Let's give credit for that. <laughs> I mean, lots of other people would get shot because there'd be no police. But yes, that would solve that problem. Sometimes watching the news, Greg, is like this series of dominoes of bad judgment and stupidity. Um, and let's just observe, like there, there's a lot of rhetoric that comes out whenever there's a police shooting or an indication of police violence, particularly in the aftermath of George Floyd, where we say, look, uh, most cops are good people. Most cops, you know, uh, are, are do their jobs well. Most cops are not abusive. You know, we, we want to believe cops. We want to trust cops. We need to. Otherwise, we're in anarchy. Otherwise, we have a sense of, you know, we're, we're worried about uh, uh, MS-13 and Bloods and Crips and other gangs. But if the police do not hold themselves to the standard of following the laws that they themselves are taking an oath to uphold, 
well, then they become just another gang. They just become a slightly better armed and better heavily armored gang that, that does not hold itself accountable and cannot be held accountable through the existing justice system. It appears, look, this, this cop is going to end up seeing the inside of a courtroom, but the idea that you could mix up the taser and the gun and end up doing it, and the great irony is that this was not a rookie. This was apparently a 26-year veteran of the force who was training a rookie at the time, yeah. which is kind of mind-boggling to, to contemplate. So it, it, it gets harder to believe that, you know, you know that, uh, that these are a few bad apples. Oh, by the way, I can't help but notice this keeps happening in and around Minnesota. Greg, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't Philando Castile in, in Minnesota as well? Yes. All right, because there, there, were, there were several high-profile cases, we should point out, not all of them involving African-Americans. I seem to recall a case elsewhere in Minnesota, not too far from St. Paul, Minneapolis, where there was a, a white woman who'd called 911, police responded, and ended up shooting her in the head. Right. There was no burglar. There was no sign of a break-in or anything else like that. It was just somebody got jittery. Some cop who was apparently very poorly trained in the use of their firearm shot this poor woman in the head. Um, I also remember, I want to say it was Minnesota. Maybe I was wrong. There's something where like they wanted a blood sample from a person who'd been uh, taken to a hospital and the nurse wouldn't turn it over. They didn't have a warrant. They were, they were not obligated to turn it over. And I believe the policeman arrested the nurse with no cause. I don't think cops are a bunch of bullies, but clearly there are enough in their ranks or there are enough in their ranks who are very badly trained to make like of all the mistakes you can make in, in police work. You know, you give them a parking ticket and the, the meter wasn't really fully expired or, uh, you know, some other circumstance, you, you screw up the paperwork. That's all bad. But you'd like to think that in firearms, literally life and death matters. This would be where a cop would be most careful. This is where a cop would be most cognizant of the extraordinarily high concerns. And it does not necessarily seem like, again, all it takes is one example to go viral and it can shape the perception of cops from coast to coast. Maybe that's not necessarily fair, but man, it just feels like a burden. That having been said, I don't like that. You know, it doesn't do anybody any good to have members of Congress running around saying, hey, let's get rid of all police. That'll solve the problem. Yeah, she never explains what her solution is because uh, I, I have to conclude she doesn't actually have one. She just wants to, uh, to demagogue the situation. But uh, rioting has ensued. We've seen a lot of looting and uh, it just seems like a really ugly deja vu in that area of the country again. Uh, Jim, uh, certainly a sober note to close on today, but uh, good to be with you as always, and we'll do it again tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast and tell your friends about us. We love, love, love your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. They're very helpful to us. Please get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.